I was really tempted to engage in a April Fool's joke by saying that Kevin had given me an hour to preach. But I didn't think you'd buy it, so. I'm Scott Hansen. I think most of you know who I am. Um, so I had one of those moments when I was driving in my car where I was listening to the radio, and it was one of those, they call them driveway moments in NPR, except it's not a good idea when you're in the middle of 81 to have that driveway moment. So I was listening to an interview with a scholar by the name of David Eagleman. He's a neuroscientist out of Stanford who's also an author. He's written a book called Live Wired, and it talks about your brain and your neurological functioning. You get to learn really fancy terms like neuroplasticity when you're listening to these types of of, uh, video, not videos, but um, interviews. And neuroplasticity is where your brain's neural pathways adapt, grow, and reorganize based on stimuli. Now, all of this is going to connect, so bear with me. In essence, it's how the brain reconfigures its own circuitry. The brain is composed of about 86 million neurons, which are constantly rewiring, responding to stimuli, dying, being regenerated. And that regeneration is a new concept that's relatively new to science. Our brains basically develop roughly 700 neurons each day. It's not just a fixed number and that's it. So even as you age, you still have the capacity to to grow and to learn and to adapt. One of the things that he talked about when he described humans and how we uh, come into this world is that unlike many uh, of the beasts of the field, humans can't survive on our own. A calf, when it's born, can basically be on its feet, suckling within 30 minutes. Lots of animals can run almost as soon as they hit the ground. Human beings, we're given what's called adaptive capacity. We have the ability to learn as we grow, but we don't have that all hardwired into us to begin with. If I was raised in, for example, Japan, I would learn Japanese. I wouldn't learn English. Unless, of course, I was raised by people speaking English. Our minds adapt to our surroundings. We are also born with a need to be cared for, which basically is we're born with a need to be loved. We require love. Neural development and functioning is a byproduct of our environment and what we do. It is both nature and nurture. Each interaction, activity, each meeting, each introduction to another person creates new neural pathways in our minds. In fact, you're going to be different after this talk than you were before this talk. There's a gentleman by the name of Yitzhak Perlman, some of you may know. He is a phenomenal violinist. And after a particularly wonderful um, uh, opportunity for him to to, to, uh, concert, an individual basically said in his his, uh, area of hearing, I would give my life to play like him. And Yitzhak Perlman said, I have. 
He had spent his entire life working to be that good. The Williams sisters in tennis, Tiger Woods in golf, these are people who have dedicated, have become exemplars because of what they have done. They've put more than 10,000 hours into their craft. They are as good as they are, not because it's innately that way, it's because they worked so hard to get there. That, all that got me thinking about scripture. When I heard that, I was like, what, how does this, it just sort of like the fires were burning. And I was thinking to myself, Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as spiritual sacrifices. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It was the renewing of your mind part that got me. Our mind is something that needs to be renewed all the time. And the things that we interact with, the things that we interface with, they change us. My contention is that Jesus changes us. So I want to go to Scripture, pulling from our passage. You know, if you've done the Lectio Divina, there's that word or that passage, that's, that, that particular verse that just leaps out to you. And for me, in that John 13 chapter, it's, he loved them to the end. I just think that's so beautiful, where Jesus basically says, or John says of Jesus, he loved those disciples to the very end. Jesus, in this passage, dresses himself as a slave. He puts on the loincloth, takes off his outer clothing, and he prepares to serve. Later on, we see Jesus also in a loincloth again, and this time it's as he's being flogged and being prepared to be raised on the cross. So he's both a servant, a slave, and a sacrifice. Think with me, as Jesus has donned on his clothing of service, taken off his outer robes, pause a moment in your mind and think about what it must have been like, even maybe close your eyes, as Jesus went to each of the twelve. He touches their feet. He might even look at them in the eye. I suspect that he had a word for them that he was speaking, and he said to Matthew, the tax collector, am I not sufficient for you? What about Thomas the doubter? He says to Thomas maybe something like, I know who you are. What about James and John? You sons of thunder, settle down. I love you. Peter, the rock. We see in the narrative, in the story, there's this interaction. Peter wants, no, don't do it. Then he wants it all. Have you ever thought about when he washed Judas's feet? He knew who his betrayer was. I wonder what he might have said to Judas. Maybe he said, I love you still. I love you in spite of. 
Love changes you. Christ's love reconfigures, it rewires you. Service changes you. Receiving service, giving service. Jesus' love was a subversive kind of love that turned the world upside down. What's subversion? I like talking about subversion. Subversion is undermining of the power and authority of an established system or institutions. We understand the world's power structures. We have kings, we have presidents, we have CEOs, we have a top-down system, and we understand it. Christ's idea of love, Christ's idea of the kingdom of God, would be like a judge coming down from his podium washing the feet of the accused, asking his forgiveness before he issues his sentence. It would be like Joe Biden washing Mitch McConnell's feet. It would be like Donald Trump washing Nancy Pelosi's feet. It's the world turned upside down. Paul has a description of this. I think he captures it beautifully in Philippians. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's Paul's description of Christ's service and what we're called to do. Christ's kingdom, it's not a pyramid of power where the, the ones at the top look down on the littles on the bottom. His idea of a kingdom is a body. A body that's knit together, finely woven. A body founded on love, which implies proximity, mutuality, particularity. I'll say it again. Proximity, mutuality, and particularity. You cannot love in a vacuum. Love is personal. I would argue we can't love the world. It's too big. But we can love individuals. We can love people. Wendell Berry says, my love must be discriminate or fail to bear its weight. Like the neurons in our brains that are stretching out to form deeper, more significant connections, so we must reach out in love, especially to the poor and the weak. Because the absence of love deforms and defaces God's creation. It deforms and defaces us. And it causes us to engage in selfishness, 
greed, sexual confusion, violence, addictive behavior, anxiety, fear, anger. A gentleman by the name of Jean Varnier uh, wrote a book called Drawn into the Mystery of Jesus Through the Gospel of John. And I was able to, to borrow from him. And he describes a little bit about what I'm talking about when he talks about what the absence of love can do. This gentleman worked at a sort of like a group home in, in Europe. And he's describing one particular individual who had particular problems. Wasn't able to communicate. He was deaf and mute. He wasn't toilet trained. And then he goes on to say, I've never seen so much anguish in a young person as I saw in Eric, this young man's name. There was a desire in him to die. He just wouldn't keep down the food in his stomach. Many of those who come to this community have a broken self-image. They have not been seen, they have been seen as a disappointment for their parents, and they are not wanted as they are. So they feel they're no good. If people are not loved, they can feel that they are in fact not lovable, that they are somehow bad or evil. Our hope in welcoming such people is to help them transform their broken or negative self-image into a positive one and find self-esteem. The vision of L'Arche is to help people rediscover their value, their beauty, their importance. Only then can they grow and do beautiful things. They respond to love with love. Someone who has a negative self-image will only want to do negative things to themselves or to others. I would argue that many of the people that I see in my daily work as a defense attorney have not been loved well. So what's the answer to our core fundamental problems, our needs? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not more stimulus checks. It's not more teachers and better schools. It's not lower taxes. It's not more jails. But I would argue that the answer that we have is to participate in acts of loving service to one another in a community defined by and bound by the love of Christ because of Christ's love in us. This to me sounds a lot like the church. Christ describes the way we're called to live by saying these words, whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a call to empty ourselves. But there's a cautionary note about service. I think we in the church can hold the banner of service above our heads and we forget why we're doing it. Or we think of service as a feather in our cap. It's something to boast of. That's not what service is supposed to be about. Remember Mary and Martha. Mary's at the feet of Christ, listening, enjoying his presence, enjoying him. Martha is fussing. Tell her to serve with me. 
He doesn't say stop serving. He says she's chosen the better thing. Remember, it's about Christ. If we don't serve out of that reason, we serve for the wrong reason. Service in and of itself is not the goal. In John 13, 14, Christ says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Think of what he could have said. He could have said, Now wash my feet. And who would have jumped first in line to wash Jesus' feet? It would have been an opportunity to boast, I washed his feet. I was number one. And that's what we would do. He then says, you go. Do likewise. As Jesus overturns the power structures with his subversive love, our focus shifts from the high and mighty to the lowest and the least. To share again from Varnier's works, I think he captures this concept beautifully when he talks about what our focus should be. He says, when the poor and weak are present, they prevent us from falling into the trap of power, even the power to do good, of thinking that it is we who are the good ones, the spiritual ones, who must save the Savior and his church. As we get closer to the poor and the weak, we begin to accept our own poverty and weakness. We learn how to become vulnerable to others, not to control them, and how to cry out to others and to Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I need your help. You will never learn to grow in the Christian life until you come to that place of complete and utter dependence upon Christ. It just ain't going to happen. As you dare to heed the Master's command, and that's what it is. This is Monday. It's Command Thursday. As you dare to heed the Master's command to go and do likewise, you are more and more shaped into the image of Him who loves you most, one neuron at a time. Amen.